All right, so Matt, what is invisible and smells like worms? Invisible worms. A bird fart. <laughs> uh. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? I'm good. Good. I am good. Good to be back in the graveyard. As always. Talking to all you folks that want to listen to our ramblings about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and and we appreciate y'all very much. Uh, oh, you, yeah. you have no idea how much we appreciate the fact that you like to listen to us two dummies talk about stuff. <laughs> so... Real quick, though, we wanted to thank Podbelly. Uh, go to podbelly.com and check out the Podbelly Network. Uh, you can find other shows to listen to, and you can find stuff on how to record your own show. Um, or if you are recording your show, it may give you some tips and techniques that you may not know already. We'd also like to thank tonight's sponsors, BetterHelp and Best Fiends. Um We'll talk more about them later, but like we said, we really, really love BetterHelp, and we're we're kind of addicted to Best Fiends, so we'll we'll talk about them more a little bit later. <laughs> That's right. Um, but also wanted to thank you guys uh, who have sent in voicemails already. Um, it's really fun to get to listen to y'all. Um, so if you want to send us a voicemail, our number again is four three zero five five eight. One three zero four. If you don't want us to potentially play it on the show, then mention that in your voicemail. Just say, "Hey, don't play this on the show," and we won't. Uh, it'll be yeah. just for mine and Matt's ears. Just, just say, you know, I'm in the witness protection program, and I don't need my voice aired. Right, right, Matt. I thought you said the witness protection program, and I was like, "What is that?" Well, I'm in that program too. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> that that reminds hey, me uh wetness you know, protection you know how do you know how you qualify for the wetness protection program how's that it depends ah <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say that reminded me of a joke uh michael actually told me just a little bit ago um why does snoop dog always carry an umbrella <laughs> faux drizzle exactly <laughs> i was like man you're nine how do you know that joke <laughs> but matt that's all i got and uh we can quit this incessant rambling that people gripe about uh <laughs> get on to the show just tell us what the show's gonna be well this is the show. We we BS a lot in the this beginning. This is the so. show. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I mean, I think we can all say that at some point in our lives, 
there was something that was just nagging at us that was keeping us from achieving our full potential. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes you, you could you realize what it is. Other times you just you just can't can't get to it. It's right. something under the surface. And getting some help with that is key to finding your happiness. Better help will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Now, it's not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be available to you where you are. The service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room like you do with traditional therapy. That's right. And that that's something that a lot of people, you know, have trouble with. I know I myself do too. I, I don't like sitting in waiting rooms. Like, doesn't matter what it is. I don't like sitting in waiting rooms. And that's one of the great things about BetterHelp is that you can skip that. You, you can do it from the comfort of your own home where you feel most comfortable. I think we all feel more comfortable at home, you know, talking out problems than we would sitting in a, you know, stranger's office or whatever. So that's one of the best things about BetterHelp. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. So if you're just not clicking with the counselor you've got, it's free to change until you can find one that is the the most help for you for your specific needs. Now, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. And you can go to their website and you can see reviews and testimonials from people that are posted new daily so you don't have to just take our word for it you can take the the testimonials off the website and read them now all you gotta do is visit betterhelp.com that's betterhelp.com slash grave and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So that's another thing. If you are a professional counselor and you want to get in on this, they're recruiting counselors. Now, there is a special offer for Graveyard Tales listeners. You can get 10% off your first month. And all you got to do is go to BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grave, G-R-A-V-E. That's right. For 10% off your first month, Graveyard Tales listeners can go to BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grave, G-R-A-V-E. Instead of continuing the BS, Matt, why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight, 
uh, we're going to talk about another cryptid, I guess you would call it. Yep. Um, but this one is is one that um, I, honestly I had I had heard um, years ago. Mm-hmm. Didn't didn't really think anything about it at the time, uh, but it has inspired uh, books. It's inspired movies. Oh yeah. Um, not very good movies. It, <laughs> it's inspired that's, that's great valid. movies. Yeah. About great books. No, I'm just. We're, we're we're talking about the Mongolian death worm, and when I say it out loud, to me, it sounds absolutely ridiculous. Sounds silly, doesn't it? Made up. Yep. <laughs> it's like I had to come up with a name for a cryptid that I drew for a class, and Mongolian death worm is what came out of my mouth. Yep, it does sound silly. But this this is legit as far as. The, the legend uh, goes, and in, uh, in Mongolia, it, uh, it, it is really, it's feared by a, a lot of people. Right. Um, even the potential of coming across one of these creatures is pretty terrifying to someone that has grown up uh, hearing these kind of stories and legends. Um and so we're going to kind of get into it. And some of you may have heard of this, and some of you may be going, what on earth have they dug <laughs> up now? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think you're going to enjoy this. It, it's, it, it, kind of, it, it kind of leaves a lot open for interpretation as to, could this be real at, at any point in time? Or are, are we in a situation where we're putting a lot of weird characteristics on an actual animal? Right. Right. So, so Adam, let's let's kind of get into this thing. Tell us, uh, tell us more about the Mongolian deathworm. All right. Uh, as we always say, if you want to follow along, or if you want to continue the research after the episode, go down and in the show notes are all the links to uh, to our sources that you can go check out and you know make sure we read the quotes correctly, or if you want to keep going and uh, dig a little deeper, feel free to do that. Um, but this is like Matt was saying, I think probably, and, and not to bury the lead or anything, but, um, this is probably one of the cryptids that we've done that probably is most closely associated with an actual animal that is, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, misunderstood or, misidentified or something and then blown out of proportion a little bit but we'll get into all that in the in the theories and stuff but as we go along uh kind of keep that in mind could this be a legitimate creature now the mongolian death worm's native name is olgoy olgoy and i practiced that i'm so glad that you got to say that first. <laughs> well, <laughs> I practiced that and still messed it up. Uh-huh. Olgoy corkoy. Um, and it means intestine worm. Um, and that's due to its red blood-like color and the size of it, which is about the size of a human intestine. So that diameter and, you know, they don't say, I mean, okay. It's not as long as a human intestine is. If if you know anything about human intestines, it's they're quite long. 
Um, but yeah, it's this has been described anywhere from two to seven foot long. So it's not anywhere near the length of an actual human intestine, but they're talking about the diameter of this worm is about that of a human intestine. Now, apparently they have the ability to spit out a corrosive yellow saliva and generate blast of electricity. So it, it's kind of already living up to the death worm moniker there. Right. <laughs> wow. I mean, to do both. Yeah. Yeah. You know, scary enough if it can do one. Right. But it can do both. It's like a um, nauseated electric eel. You know, it's an electric eel who had some weak old sushi or something, you know. <laughs> get that uh, get that old uh, shrimp cocktail out of the fridge. Yeah. Feed it to this worm here. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's look at some facts about some quote unquote facts about the Mongolian death worm here. Now, they say that it is a warm blooded creature. And again, it's shaped like a sausage without any noticeable eyes, nose, or mouth. So, warm-blooded is the part that stands out to me in this situation. You've got a worm that they're saying is warm-blooded. So, it doesn't... If we're taking all this as true, I don't know that it's a worm at that point. You know, it, it... may be a worm-shaped creature, but if we're looking at warm-blooded, is that truly a worm? Right, yeah, because normally a worm is not a warm-blooded animal. Mm-mm. When you think of warm-blooded animals, you think of mammals. Right. You know, and you don't even Don't even really, you know, snakes also. Not, not warm-blooded. Exactly. So, you know, we're... Even the things that it could be confused with are are not warm-blooded animals. But no, my curiosity is, how do you know? Yeah, yeah. How how, how do you know that it's warm-blooded? What yeah. what tipped you off? Think, oh, right. this thing must be warm-blooded. Right. That that's uh, you know one of the questions I had too. Without a specimen, how can you tell? You know. Yeah. Well, like I, I can imagine, I, I just imagine the, you know that early you know they you know somebody somebody caught one like ages ago and, and they were just like, asked it a question t- touching it and they were like i think it's it's hot-blooded <laughs> and the other one said well check it and see oh lord <laughs> uh, <laughs> a long setup for that one man <laughs> i liked it <laughs> I, I didn't hate it. I don't care if you liked it. Either. <laughs> I didn't hate it. Um, like I mentioned before, uh, the Mongolian deathworm can kill from a distance by spewing a corrosive yellow saliva and generating an electrical charge. Um, it says, however, the simple act of touching the worm can also lead to instant death. So despite the other two, if you just touch the thing, you're going to die. So, that just blows your joke right out of the water, Matt. You can't yeah. check it and see. Don't don't touch it and see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's I mean, you know, that's that's crazy. Right. You know, I mean and again, really sounds like something of legend. Sure, sure. 
you know, I mean, you know, everything up to this point, we get to the warm-blooded thing, and you're kind of like, how do you know? And then instant death. Okay, that sounds bad. Yeah, right. How did you figure that part out? That's right. You know. So there had to be two of them. (laughs) Yeah, right. Only one of them touched it. (laughs) Yeah. The other guy ran like hell. (laughs) I said, don't touch it. Don't touch it. (laughs) Now, the Mongolian deathworm apparently travels underground, and it can be spotted by the waves of sand that appear on the surface of the desert when it passes. So doesn't this sound like a movie? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to talk about that, too. Exactly. Um, But, I mean, there's a lot of creatures in the desert that would prefer to live under the sand because it's a lot cooler down there. Yeah, it's a lot cooler. Even, Even just a few inches below the surface of the sand, it's much cooler than the right. actual surface. So there, there's a lot of creatures that could cause waves in the sand as it kind of moved. It wouldn't have to be the Mongolian deathworm. Well, apparently the Mongolian deathworm hibernates for 10 months of the year. It only emerges during June and July, and even then it prefers to rise to the surface when the ground is wet and rain is falling from the skies. So one of the things that Matt and I were talking about before the mics came on is that if you've got something that's that specific, it only, you know, it hibernates 10 months out of the year. It only comes out during this part. That points to the possibility of it actually being a creature. You know, it's exhibiting habits of an actual flesh and blood creature rather than legend. And if it rises during the rain, Worms do that a lot, don't they? I mean, you oh, see yeah. earthworms all the time. After a big rain, they've come up. So, and we we had a really we had a really rainy week about I don't know, 10, 10 days ago. Um, you know we had we had pretty su- substantial rainfall for a good six days in a row. Right, and we were out in the backyard. And Amanda moved something, and she goes, oh, my God. I was like, what? She was like, a death look at, worm. Look at look at these worms. And I'm not kidding. You know, we pulled up an earthworms that were easily, you know, nine, ten inches long. Oh, wow. You know, and, and fat. I yeah. mean, fat. You had some of those Tennessee death worms. Oh, yeah. Oh. You know, I mean, these were like, I mean... You know, we this was a this was a a, a fisherman's dream right here. That's that's I mean, what I was thinking. Is why didn't you catch those and send them to me? I could have used them. <laughs> I mean, they were they were massive. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, between that and the slugs, when it rains here, you know, oh we're yeah, covered up. You don't walk through the yard barefoot. Yeah, right. You'd don't ever squishing. walk through. I have bulldogs. You don't ever walk through my yard barefoot. <laughs> that's a valid point. <laughs> so aside from humans the mongolian deathworm preys on camels um it it's said that it will leave eggs inside of the animal's intestines which will eventually turn the camel to the exact same shade of red as the creature 
So that's creepy. I hate, we've talked about this in a Patreon episode. I hate parasitic animals or parasites. That freaks me out more than ghosts do. Um, You know, something that can bury inside your skin. And apparently these death worms will burrow into the skin of camels and get in their intestines and lay their eggs in the intestines. And then, you know, they they turn that red color and then they die. And the babies of these death worms will eat the camel inside out. And that gives me the heebie-jeebies, Matt. It really does. (laughs) Yeah, that I mean that's pretty disgusting. Yep. But you know, not unheard of in nature. Uh uh-uh. uh. You know, nope. of, of of another animal of an animal laying eggs inside of another animal. We talked about on this uh, on that Patreon episode, um, using essentially the uh the the host animal as like a giant placenta that's yeah. still alive. An incubator. You know? An incubator, yeah. I mean, yep. you know, it's providing, it, you know, the eggs are gaining nutrients, you know, and meanwhile, that host animal is is slowly dying, and then it dies, and the eggs hatch, and you know, it becomes food mm-hmm. for you know the the larval stage of some of these creatures. You know, it, we see it in nature. I mean, it, like I said, it's 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 not an you know, it's not something that's completely out of the ordinary. Right. It can be a natural behavior. So that that's yet another one that kind of points to natural behavior of some animal. Now, it seems like we're mixing a couple animals here as we go. Maybe you even know. more than a couple. I mean, right. you know, look, look, look where we are so far. I mean, we've got um, it, it spits an acid like venom. Mm-hmm. Uh possibly has an electrical shock aspect to it right it's toxic to touch right and and now it has a parasitic nature um and it's warm-blooded and it's warm-blooded so you know we're all of this stuff you know individually we're looking at it and going well look you know there's there's animals that give off an electric charge Mm -hmm. you know there's there's definitely um you know parasitic animals that that use a a host you know we've got other animals that can spit venom Mm -hmm. it's just or even corrosive like the bombardier beetle it right yeah it's not a poison but it's corrosive and it'll hurt you yeah and and so none of these things are are really you know just way out there right but for a single organism to have all of these traits, it seems very strange. Yes, it does. Now, some people believe that the Mongolian death worm, uh, when it attacks, uh, it will raise half of its body up from the sand and it will inflate until it explodes, which is when a lethal poison is sprayed across the victim. Now, the poison is so venomous that the prey dies instantly. Here's my problem with that. If it explodes, okay, yeah, it may kill you with the poisonous nature, but what good does it do? It's not going to be able to eat you. It's It exploded itself. It exploded. It's a kamikaze worm. Yeah. So 
how can you explode yourself and then expect to uh, eat or anything? It doesn't seem like a, a viable option for protection. Now, granted, you know, somebody's going to say, well, bees, bees, when they sting you, they die after they sting you. Yep, I know. But they're in a hive. So they're protecting the hive. These right. Mongolian death worms seem to be lone individuals not living in a, a hive state. So that doesn't seem like a good evolutionary tactic to defend yourself. I'm, I get threatened and then I just explode. Okay. Yeah, I, I, w- I would want my defense mechanism to, to not end in my death. Right. It kind of goes against the defense mechanism part of yeah. it. Can you believe if humans did that every time they got threatened, they exploded? <laughs> be nasty. Oh, it'd be gross. You'd have Ugh. you'd have Walmart would be covered in just people parts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you threatening me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Cornholio. Need death worm for my bunghole. Okay. So the Mongolian death worm lives in the most sandy, desolate parts of the Gobi Desert, and it tends to live where a parasitic herb, the goyo, is found on the roots of the saxwall bushes. Um, so we'll talk about the Gobi Desert here shortly. We'll get to that, but... Uh, the death worm apparently lives in the sandy parts of the Gobi Desert. So probably some of the more hospitable places for a burrowing animal. Um, yeah, the sand. Yeah. Now, experts claim that the desert is too hot for actual worms to survive, which leads them to believe that the Mongolian death worm is a venomous snake or a legless burrowing lizard. Yeah. So, yeah, and and we'll talk about that here shortly too. Um, but I mean, that's true. If if it's an actual worm, I don't know how it's actually living under that the the temperature differences there. Well, you know, most worms that are worms mm-hmm. um, typically need wormy. a moist a moist environment. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. kind of wormy. Yep. Um, which the desert doesn't really provide. No, in, not on in, a regular basis. No. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a very brief amount of time. Right. I've never, yeah. I've never been to a desert and been like, Hey man, this place is pretty moist. Yeah. There's a lot of water here. I mean, for a <laughs> desert, this is the most ocean like desert I've ever seen. So, <laughs> so the death worm skin, they say is like an exoskeleton and it molts whenever it becomes injured. So I guess when it it explodes itself, it then becomes, you know, it sheds its skin and whatever. But, I mean, that, if you think about it having, having an exoskeleton, then yeah. that helps to kind of reinforce where it lives. It's not a soft-bodied creature like an earthworm is. Yeah. You know, it, it has an exoskeleton for protection and can keep in moisture and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's more centipede like. Right. Right. 
think of maybe maybe like a millipede because of the shape of the millipede. So think of sure, a millipede okay, yeah. without legs, just this weird wriggly thing. Yeah. So <laughs> a, a hard shelled wriggly thing. Yeah, exactly. With no legs, <laughs> no discernible mouth. Yeah, we're getting there. Or eyes, yep. <laughs> so, Russian scientists allegedly uncovered a dead specimen in 1972, but this specimen disappeared and is rumored to be hidden inside of the basement of a Russian museum. Oh, how convenient. Right. All right, so let's look at where the Mongolian death worm is said to live, uh, which is the Gobi Desert. Now, the Gobi stretches across huge portions of both Mongolia and China, so it's big. And contrary to popular belief, the Gobi isn't all sandy desert. Most of it is bare rock, but there are these vast areas of sandy dunes as well. So that's what we were saying. It The death worm likes to live in the sandy parts of the desert. But when most people think of the Gobi Desert, they think of just vast rolling sand dunes and all that. It's not, you know, it, it's not necessarily like that. There's some patches like that, but most of the desert is bare rock and it's just dry as hell. Yeah. So the Gobi occupies this huge area of land that's like a thousand miles long and 300 to 600 miles wide with an estimated area of 500,000 square miles. Yeah, that's big. That's ginormous. It's like the, what, the fifth largest desert in the world? It's I mean, huge. That, cover, that covers a, a, a large a, a large uh, territory there. Oh, yeah. And, and what Adam and I were talking about this um, before we started recording, where it is is also interesting uh-huh. uh, because you know if, if if you know where mongolia is it's it's north of china right and so north of that is russia mm-hmm. and and not only that the area of it's essentially siberia mm-hmm. and and so you know here we go to this enormous desert to frozen tundra so I mean, you know, you you essentially go from hot, dry, sandy desert to frozen desert. Yeah, exactly. So sorry if you guys can hear that. The dogs, for some reason, are going crazy, and I don't know what <laughs> what they're barking at. All right, Matt. So let's take a quick second and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, Best Fiends. Now. When you finish listening to one of our episodes, you could do a deep dive down the Wikipedia wormhole or wherever you dive down these wormholes like Matt and I do and just keep going on the subject. But when your brain or your browser tabs are full to the brim, it might be time to take a load off. And that's usually when I pick up Best Fiends. When we've just finished the show and I've been down the rabbit hole of this topic for over a week, and I just can't take any more research. I open up Best Fiends, 
and start playing it and it helps clear my mind of all the that the ghosts or the paranormal or, or just the weird stuff that has been flooding my head for over a week yeah and you know i i love to pick it up when i'm, I'm sitting you know in a drive-through or i'm i'm waiting for my groceries to come out that i ordered online yeah you know now's a perfect time to, to have that go-to game and and best fiends is that game you know, I, I know that if if I pick it up and I'm playing, chances are that Amanda has been playing and has gotten further ahead. So yeah. now now I'm fighting to catch up to her. We don't even talk about her progress. That's just... <laughs> but but it's great, and and you can you can keep you can keep going, and, and I like to play. I like to keep going. You know, right up until I get to that level that gets to me, yeah. and and when I when I can't bust it, you know, I'm just like. Huh. But I always know when whenever that that time comes where I've got a few minutes where I'm like, okay, I got nothing going on, I'm gonna jump back in and try to beat that level. Right. It, it, you know, Best Fiends really is it's it's boredom's worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- when you're when you're sitting there when you're, when you're you know waiting waiting in line when you're uh, you know sitting in the in the waiting room at the doctor's office or you're you're getting your oil changed. I mean, hey, that's that's the perfect time. You know, you've got it right there on your phone. You know, pick it up and start pounding through some of these slugs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's free to download, and it literally has millions of five star reviews on the Apple App Store and Google Play. I mean, Best Fiends never really gets old. They they add more levels, more events, and more challenges all the time. So literally. You never get tired of it. It's, it's great. always a new, fresh game. So you can download Best Fiends free today on Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. That's right. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Now, the temperatures in the Gobi Desert fluctuate rapidly. Um, It can go from being 25 degrees Fahrenheit to negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit within a few days. Now, the the temperatures can go as high as 122 degrees Fahrenheit and as low as negative 40 degrees. So that's what we were talking about, about that wide expanse of uh, desert. But... Also, in just one area, you can have huge dips between daytime temperature and nighttime temperature. You know, it's, I mean, you want to talk about temperature fluctuation, you think it's bad in Texas, where it was 90 degrees yesterday and it was 50 degrees this morning. That's nothing compared to temperature drops in deserts. Yeah, you go from, I'm going to catch on fire to, I'm I'm going to freeze to death. Yeah, yeah. It's like being on a, a planet without um, an atmosphere and you're rotating around the sun. You're scorching, 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 you rotate, and then you're frozen. Right. So, so you, it's, know, it, you die of either hyper or hypothermia. Yeah, exactly. Or by Mongolian death worm. Well, yeah, most likely by the death worms. But. By, by, by electrocution. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, occasionally snow will fall in the Gobi, even though it's quite rare. Um, you can actually see pictures of these sand dunes with snow on them. So occasionally it will uh, it will snow. It it gets cold enough there for it, but usually there's not enough moisture to make it snow. Yeah, and you know if you've ever seen like like out in Utah, if you've ever seen it snow in the desert, it's crazy. For one, it's snowing and you're in a desert, uh, which is odd enough, but then the, you know, the desert being so dry, it just, it, it's like it, 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 it inhales the snow. Yeah. There's the snow and the desert says, yep. Where'd Ah, snow go? (laughs) Cool, refreshing drink. So now the Gobi desert is made up of five separate ecosystems. Now, that's a lot for one area, but these are the Eastern Gobi Desert Steppe, the Gobi Lakes Valley Desert Steppe, the Jungar Basin Semi-Desert, the Alshan Plateau Semi-Desert, and the Shang Range. So the the Gobi Desert has, and we'll talk about the animals that live there, but it it's vast changes in ecosystems from one area to the other. So, I mean, it's going to have a lot more animals than you think it would. Right. Right. You know, and, and amazing that one desert could have this variety of animals that essentially can't go from one region to the other because it's inhospitable to their survival. Right. But yet, you know, you just, you move from one area of the desert to another and, and you've got a species that thrives, mm-hmm. you know, just because of the, the, the subtle changes in geography in in the weather, um, you know, it, it's, it's amazing what, what a yeah. place like, the, you know, this type of desert, you know, can, can have, um, with, with all these variations. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of boggles the mind a little bit. Um, now, they say that the Gobi Desert is expanding approximately 1,390 square miles over the southern grasslands of China every year. So the Gobi Desert is expanding, and that's not by a little bit. It's expanding mm-hmm. a lot every year. Now, an interesting fact is that the first dinosaur eggs to ever be discovered were found in the Gobi Desert. Hmm. So... Very first ones that were found, they stumbled across them and they, oh, Mongolian deathworm eggs. Oh, wait, no, these are petrified. <laughs> so the Gobi Desert is also home to different water bodies. In fact, there are underground and surface rivers that are found along the desert. Now, lakes are also present elsewhere in the Gobi Desert. So it's dry, but you do have sources of water for animals to be able to live and some of these like they said they're underground so if you have an underground creature like the mongolian deathworm that needs water it's already underground there so you could potentially have access to that water you know but just interesting to think about underground rivers and stuff you know? I, I know, and and you don't you don't necessarily think about bodies of water, um, when you think about a desert, mm-hmm. you know. But again, we're talking about five hundred square miles, folks. I mean, you know this this thing is going to be 
just such a variation. And, you know, Adam talked about, you know, the difference between, you know, the, the rocky mountainous areas and the sand dunes. Um, you know, you, you've got areas that, that look similar to the Serengeti. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that's where you're going to find, you know, more, more, a little more moisture, these, these, you know, visible rivers and lakes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you could look at, you could look at a dozen pictures of the Gobi desert and not one of them make you think that, you know, not, you couldn't put two of them together and think I'm looking at the same place. Right. Right. You know, cause you look at one, it looks like you're out in Arizona and you look at another one, it looks like you're in Africa. You know, no, yep. you're and yet you're, another one. You're <laughs> up in Antarctica. Yeah. Know? And I mean, you know, you're like, nope, it's all the same place in Asia. Mm-hmm. You know, so it gets, it's a little bit of everything. And because it has a little bit of everything, it's got a lot of animals that actually live there. So let's take a look at some of the animals that live there. Now, there are over 45 different species of animals and birds that live in the Gobi Desert. Now, give you just kind of a quick list of what lives there. Golden eagles, snow leopards, camels, bears, and gazelles all live there. Wild Bactrian camels, snakes like the Gobi Pit Viper, the Mongolian wild ass. No, that's not Matt. Um, <laughs> Although that uh, was my nickname in college. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, I knew you had some good nicknames. Yep. Um, the Ibex, a marbled polecat, uh, also lives there. So, and, and polecats, you know, it's not exactly what, we here in the South call a pole cat, which is a skunk. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a cat looking, kind of looks like a cross between a ferret and a leopard because it's, you know, weird color on the hair. Um, a ferret leopard. Yeah, a flepper. We should have done a show on this. Yeah, we should have. Hey, what, a, what, about, li- what about ligers? Does- oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, coming up on Graveyard Tales, we'll be doing the flippards. Um, <laughs> but th- this just kind of shows you the extent of animals that can live in the Gobi Desert. It's not completely devoid of life. Um, so there, there is possibility that something like the death worm could be living there. Yeah. And, it, and it's such a possibility that cryptozoologists have really taken to trying to discover any kind of evidence that the Mongolian death worm currently exists or existed at one time. And I, I was shocked. I told Adam this morning, I, I messaged him and I said, I, I'm just still floored by the fact that there are cryptozoologists who specialize in the Mongolian death worm. Out of right. all the cryptids out there, I, I, heck, just out of the ones that Adam and I have discussed, mm-hmm. that there's there's somebody that takes this one and is like, this is my specialty. <laughs> yeah, this would be a difficult one to to specialize in. Just in my opinion, it it not only is it hard to get to, but you right. know, right, you, right. how how are you going to find it? It only comes out two months of the year and (laughs) you got to be there when it happens. Yeah. And hope it rains when you're there. And 
it's like it's like it's like the the Dennis the Menace movie where you know they they're Walter Matthau is waiting for that flower that only blooms like once every yep. twelve years yep. or something. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be there when it happens, man. Yeah, pretty much. But you know this zoologist Roy Chapman Andrews, who interestingly enough was the inspiration for Indiana Jones. Hmm was the first Western researcher to actually take note of this legend of the Mongolian death worm. Now, he learned about the creature from Mongolian officials before he pioneered an expedition that documented the Mongolian wildlife. Now, his book, On the Trail of Ancient Man, was published in 1926. So, you know, we're not... We're not talking about something that happened a few years ago. Yep. You know, so about a hundred. About a hundred years ago, the idea of the Mongolian death worm was already there. I mean, so mm-hmm. this is this is not new. Um but in in the book on the trail of ancient man, Andrews wrote that the the, the premier of Mongolia uh said that if it was possible that he should capture the for the Mongolian government a specimen of the Allegorhai Horhai, um, which is the Mongolian death worm. But he said none of the people that he was meeting with had ever seen this creature, but they all firmly believed in its existence and described it in detail. And the, they want him to catch something that could kill him? Yeah, and that none no, of them hey, have seen. Yeah, go catch that thing <laughs> that might kill you or explode on you or spit venom on you or you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. This is like a side quest in a video game. <laughs> right. You know, you're roaming through and there's like some guy waving. Hey, yeah, we hear stories the, about this worm in the desert. Yep. You should go catch it. Press A government. to accept. <laughs> yes, press A to accept. <laughs> so the premier told Andrews that he had never seen it for himself, but he knew a man uh, who had, and he lived to tell the story. And then one of the cabinet ministers said that the cousin of his late wife's sister had also okay. seen it. Now, I love this. I love it because this is a book written at a time before this would be humorous. Right. <laughs> but now if somebody is telling me like, you know, it's it's like it's like Ferris Bueller, you know. Yeah. My my boyfriend's sister's ex-boyfriend's cousin uh-huh. saw him pass out at 31 Flavors last night. Yeah. <laughs> the cousin of his late wife's sister. Right. It's so cliché now, but at that point it was like, "Oh yeah, okay." And I thought it was kind of weird because wouldn't wouldn't the cousin of his wife's sister be his wife's cousin too? How does that work? <laughs> yeah, you would think. I don't know. Anyway, enough of that. I, you <laughs> know, I tell I tell that whole story because this you know this was a man who was a respected zoologist um, that these people believed so much in the in the existence of this creature that they had never seen that they were asking him to go and try and collect a specimen. So that mm-hmm. they would have evidence that it was there. Right. Um, 
but you know, this is really just an anecdote in, in, uh, in his book and, you know, there's really nothing else discussed. So Andrew's, you know, never found any kind of existence of this worm. Um, but he, he did at least document the fact that, you know, he was told this story and, and asked to do this. Now, Czech cryptozoologist, I'm going to butcher this guy's name. Ivan, it's, it's Ivan McCurl or McCurley. Um, but he is considered the, the foremost expert on the Mongolian death worm. Hmm. Now, can you imagine? This, yeah, I mean, this, quite a this distinction. Is, this is what you're known for. Yep. Now, now, Ivan traveled to Mongolia three times in search of the worm in 1990, 1992, and again in 2004. Now, he also organized expeditions to search for the Loch Ness Monster, the Tasmanian Tiger in Australia, and the Elephant Bird in Madagascar. So hunting after cryptids was this guy's forte. But for some reason, the the Mongolian death worm had him enamored. I mean, he Just was called he, his name. Huh? He dedicated so much um, of his life. You know what? I mean, just in these expeditions across fourteen years um, to hunting for the you know some evidence that you know this thing right. was actually a real creature. It could be the the impossibility of it that attracts people to it you know because bigfoot and all that stuff you got so many people that are interested in it maybe these people that are enamored with the mongolian death worm it's more like it's really not that well known and it's going to be very difficult to find and, and maybe that's part of the appeal is how I'm, difficult it it is. I'm I'm sure it's it's got to be part of it. But the more the more impossible it seems, the mm-hmm. more that you would be drawn to it. Right now, right. I, you know, I'm not a cryptozoologist. In fact, I I don't know any personally. Um, but I've got to feel that being a cryptozoologist has has a double edged sword. You know, mm-hmm. number one, if you if you find out that a cryptid is actually a, a, a living creature, mm-hmm. I mean, wow. I mean, you, right. you, you, you have put yourself in history. Absolutely. Okay. Who, whoever discovers Bigfoot, Loch Ness, uh, you know, you, you name it, Yeti, anything, mm-hmm. anybody that discovered, I mean, they're, they're done. They're going down in history forever. Absolutely. Okay? So there's an allure there, but the other side of this is what if I, I determine that it's not real, but I find something else that's not a cryptid, but it's an undocumented creature. Yeah. And, and we've talked about this on other shows where we discuss cryptids, that there's always that chance that there's an undiscovered species out there. To me, and, that's still amazing. Yes. And and so there's there's that part of the draw too. I don't find a cryptid, but I find something new. Either way, as a cryptozoologist, zoologist, whatever, I'm I'm in. Right. I'm yep. in. Yep. You know, I that's I what have, draws I, me to it. I have cemented myself in into science 
by discovering an animal that was previously undiscovered. Right. You know, right. so and, it, uh, and that's the that's the appeal for me is not just the like you said finding something that was you know a, a cryptid but the possibility that you'll discover something that we had no idea of you yeah. know we didn't even have stories of it to to say oh well it it used to be here to we it, it's just undocumented that i mean i think that that's one of my biggest reasons for being infatuated with cryptozoology yeah absolutely and so i i gotta think this is part of what um what what drew mccurl um to uh-huh. do this and, and to pursue it you know so passionately but mccurl first heard of the death worm when he was a boy from the work of paleontologist ivan yefremov now in college he he met with a mongolian student who also believed in the worm, and at that point, McCurl says he really became obsessed with it. So he he started studying Mongolian literature to find more clues about the death worm, and and finally, after you know a long process, was granted permission by the government to actually conduct research there. Now that's a big feat in and of itself. <laughs> now this kind of touches on something that. We were, I was going to bring up towards the end, uh, you know, I mentioned that, you know, it's, it's appeared in movies in, in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Well, Frank Herbert's uh, 1965 sci-fi novel, Dune, you know, if you have not read Dune and you consider yourself a sci-fi buff, then you need to turn You're in your out. sci-fi buff card <laughs> because, <laughs> right. you know, that's that's like that's like somebody saying that they really dig fantasy, but they've never read Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, you know, it's like well, that's like the holy grail of of you know the the fantasy literature mm-hmm. for sci fi. You know, you know, Dune is is up there, um, and and also it you know, I really I really enjoyed the movie. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but if you remember, if you've seen it or read the book. Dune features these giant sandworms that are attracted to rhythmic vibrations. Mm-hmm. So McCurl decided that he was going to take a page out of uh, out of Herbert's book and try to use this different equipment to project vibrations under the ground while searching for the Mongolian deathworm. You know, Not hopefully a bad idea. this was going to stir it up or attract it or something. Um you know, so it would come to the surface. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, one of the team's contraptions was a motor-generated thumping machine. So, you know, something that would just pound pound the sand, so to speak. <laughs> you know, trying to wake up, wake up, worms. You know, come yeah. on. Um, but you know, their uh, their efforts were 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 met with zero success. And mm. finally, after the third expedition, um. McCurl concluded that this creature must just be a myth. Yeah. So, you know, since McCurl expeditions didn't show any actual proof that this animal existed, they did provide pretty much, uh, you know, almost all of the modern research material that's related to the Mongolian death worm. Mm 
because of the study that he did in the in the efforts to search for this thing. I mean, that was a thorough try. Yeah. You know, with with the noise uh, machines and all that other stuff. To me, that I mean, you could probably get more thorough, but at the time, that's probably some of the best you could do. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, he he gave it the old college try. You got to give him that. Right. Now, in in 2005, um, crypto, cryptologist Richard Freeman conducted an expedition to find out if the if there really was a Mongolian deathworm. So, just a year after McCurl's last expedition, um, but they discovered some very interesting things. They found out that a whole village was shifted from its position when the villagers heard about a sighting of the worm. Just just deciding. Just deciding they moved their entire village. Wow. I, I you know that's fear right there. Yep. You know, you know it's one thing to be like oh, death worm. Well, I hope it doesn't come here. Yeah, we need to be careful. To to a to a point. Okay, we got to move our town. Yeah. You know, somebody yep. said they saw one. So we got yep. we got to we got to move. We're not going to yeah, get that, out of town. We're taking town with us. <laughs> yeah. That's some that's some deep-seated fear, you know. Yeah. So in one of the expeditions by Freeman, uh, they had a local interpreter uh, who told them that the incident that happened to another team of, of, uh, of explorers that, that traveled to this village, one of them was poking in the sand with an iron rod. And then hmm. suddenly, he didn't feel exactly right. And upon the other members of the team reaching him, he was dead. Oh, wow. So this guy died from poking an iron rod in the ground. So maybe you poke an electric worm. I'm just about to say, <laughs> it, if, if it's electric and you're poking iron in the yeah. sand, you're bound to get electrocuted. Can you imagine? He's out there poking that rod in the sand. It's electric. Yeah. Well, I just, I picture he looks like the guy from Home Alone when he got electrocuted and you just, it goes to skeletal and then back to skin and then skeletal and back to skin. Yeah. Yeah. The old Tom and Jerry shot. Yeah. But they said that others, other members of the team felt a sudden shake in the ground and they saw something round coming out of the sand and they ran away. <laughs> yep. Yeah, which is what if a guy you just do. died and you saw that. Yeah. Which I mean, yeah. I mean, so you think, oh, they had maybe they had a chance to find out if this thing was real or not. Well, they just saw one of their team members die. <laughs> yeah. And all he did was stick a rod into the ground, and he died. Yep. And now they see I don't something think you're coming gonna be, Yeah. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah, you, you're not going to be hanging around. We'll come back. Yeah. It'll still be here. Yeah. It, it, it'll be We're fine. We're going to come back in a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, so the expeditions have not really found any evidence. It's just found a lot of stories. Um, You know, and even, even this, this was a story I mean, even though it was it was Freeman who was reporting on it, um, you know, it was a story that was told to him. 
right and and not even really firsthand so the the legends are great and and they make for an interesting you know interesting tale but it's not proof and you know mm-hmm. it, it's certainly not hard evidence that this thing you know ever lived much less is currently living but if that's the case and you've got villagers packing up and moving their entire town to get away from just the idea that one was sighted mm-hmm. what could it be yeah i mean you know people people usually don't do that kind of stuff when there's absolutely nothing to be concerned about so right Maybe maybe there is something out there that is either an a, a, you know a, an undiscovered spe- species or you know is it something that we already know about that it would be reasonable to be living out there and as Adam and I said earlier has a lot of these traits that have just been attributed to one single animal. Mm-hmm. So we've got some theories about what if if it doesn't exist what but something exists what is it right so we got several of them here and let's go through them like we always do and and see which ones sound most plausible now the first one is an unknown species of giant worm lizard part of a family of limbless squamates closely related to lizards with no external eyes or ears now, they usually live in underground burrows and move in a serpentine fashion. So I think a lot of us have seen these. You know, if you watch nature shows or you go to the zoo, you can see yeah. one of those. It's a, a legless lizard, and it's lost its legs through, um, you know, it just it doesn't use it that much because they live underground, so evolution has just dropped the limbs from it. So is it possible that it could be one of those? Yeah, I mean, you know, the idea that what we said was that the the the, the Mongolian death worm might not be a worm at all, but something else. Right. And a, a legless lizard like um, the slow worm or the glass lizard, um, mm-hmm. which which can grow, you know, a, a meter to a meter and a half long, right. and and can be as as thick as your arm. Um, and they prey mainly on creatures that are found in or just above the sand. Okay, sounds reasonable. Um, yep. I mean, you know, often that you know, glass lizards will will attack scorpions, spiders, mice, other lizards by catching them from underneath the sand. Um, you know, they they've even been known to catch small small snakes that can bury themselves in the sand. Hmm. And you know the. The idea that it, it could spit liquid, um, you know, we're we're going to touch on that, um, but um, but yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at what the, you know, the slow worm, which is another legless lizard, or the glass lizard can do, um, and the size that they get to, you think, mm, okay, maybe maybe this fits, you yeah. know. When you look at the, it has an exoskeleton, apparently. Maybe it's just a tough skin like a lizard's would be. Yeah, I mean, you know, hard a hard, scaly, you know, reptile like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you've never actually had one or gotten close enough to say, that's a Mongolian death worm, and you get it and you're able to study it and go, oh, well, it's it's really just this 
this type of lizard. Um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it could be, it could be considered to be like a hard exoskeleton. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, and, I've touched some snakes that, you know, are, you know, have, have a, have a pretty tough, pretty tough skin right. um, and, and definitely some lizards that have got, I mean, you know, our bearded dragon is like, he feels like he's armor plated at times, yep. you know? Yeah. And that, that's, that's what could be mistaken for it, you know? And then just the other traits get put on it in through folklore and tellings and stuff like that. But one of the other theories is that it could be a highly specialized form of giant earthworm. So, okay, you've got different types of earthworms. You know, you've got the Canadian night crawlers that get huge. And then you've got the regular old earthworms here or the little red worms or whatever. So there's a lot of different types of earthworm. So it's possible that in some regions you could get, you know, a, a huge earthworm. Yeah. And, you know, you, you can't discount that. But like we were talking about with the temperatures of this area, it would be highly unlikely that an earthworm could live in such an arid, hot environment. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't think it would be what what we know as as an earthworm right um but maybe something you know very very similar um to an earthworm because again an earthworm needs a a, kind of a moist environment you know a a desert is not gonna is not gonna be you know very uh very conducive to having earthworms you know plus they're dependent on the soil um not sand so right right So the next possible explanation is that there is an unknown species of venomous sand boa. Now, now we're talking something that could be possible. Yeah. Um, Well, something that could be more possible than the others. If you've got, you've got a deadly worm shaped thing that lives under the sand and you don't see it that often. And it can kill you with a bite or or venom or whatever. I think we're getting closer to what it could be with a sand boa. Oh yeah. Now, and not only the sand boa, um, you know, there's also uh, a, a species of spitting cobra. Mm-hmm. And again, you know this, you know this Asia is you know, where cobras are primarily found. and Right. And know, then real quick to step in, that is, that's the next one we got on here. And they say venomous elapid snake and the elapid snake are the extremely venomous snakes. Like Matt's talking about with the cobra. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, they say these cobras can be extremely accurate with this venom and, mm-hmm. and can, can shoot it up to 10 feet. Yeah. And can hit, uh, predator's eyes yeah yeah they 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 aim they aim for the eyes um and they tend to to much like they much like a a a king cobra would strike you know they they bring their hood up and they open its mouth and they have specialized muscles that contract the venom gland that force the venom through its fangs and it, it will spray like adam said directly in the eyes and you know, it can, 
if there was an animal that was large enough that it could potentially trample a cobra, you know, they could, you know, they could attack from a distance that would be safe for them that would at the minimum allow them to escape. Right. You know, you know, before, you know, a herd of wildebeests stomp yeah. it or something. I don't know. I was trying to come up with an animal. Well, <laughs> and sense, you know, and, I don't know, and wildebeest came out. out yeah. <laughs> um, think about this. I mean, one of the things they say is that it stands up. Uh-huh. Part of its body out of the sand, it expands and then explodes. What if that's a cobra standing up, flaring, flaring out, out the head, yeah. and then the explosion, quote unquote, is the venom of the spitting cobra? I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. And all the uh, everything else has been exaggerated over the over the years of people talking about it to make it not just a cobra, but I think we're now hitting on what it could potentially be. Yeah, and it, and it also makes sense that, you know, the nomadic tribes in the Mongolian region, you know, talking about such a creature, you know, around the, the beginning of the, you know, the, the 1900s. And, and a Western visitor comes, and they're explaining a, a, a creature that maybe they don't know or understand. And they're just describing what they saw, something that t- potentially terrified them. Um, mm-hmm. And, and the, the description that Adam gave is, is right in line. And so that seems to match what a spitting cobra could potentially do or, right. or look like when it would attack. And so, to the untrained individual describing this, you know, they're just, they're, they're spilling out all these characteristics that they have taken from maybe a single interaction at a distance from something mm-hmm. that caused a lot of fear and a legend is born. Right. You know, so. Right. And if it's an unknown species, I mean, you could have one that gets longer. It's different color, um, got certain different habits. Yeah. But it's still an alapid or a cobra, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, that would do that. I, I mean, that to me is the most logical explanation that we've touched on. Yeah. If you look at physical characteristics of a cobra versus the quote-unquote physical characteristics of the death worm. And, and these, these particular cobras do or, or can have a reddish color, you mm-hmm. know, that, that is, again, in line with the red color of the descriptions of the Mongolian death worm. Right. Now, you know, Adam and I are not so, uh, so egotistical that we think we have just unlock the mystery of the Mongolian death worm. I mean, this, absolutely not. This is someone else's suggestion and we yeah. are, we are presenting to you. We're just saying this makes sense. Yeah. We're, um, it just makes the most sense to us. Yeah. Out of all the other theories. And again, like Adam said, even if it's a, a species of Cobra that has yet to be discovered still, that's pretty amazing. I yeah. mean, you know, as many species of, of snake that have been discovered, and and there's still some maybe out there that we don't know about, um, right? Maybe one that does does live in this 
this part of the Gobi Desert, um, and it could get huge. I mean, cobras get extraordinarily large. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so maybe there's one that gets even bigger. But yep. you know, very possible. A, a five foot long worm sounds enormous. A five foot long cobra, probably average. Right. Maybe right. maybe even a maybe even slightly below average. Mm-hmm. Um. So I mean, you know, it does. I'm with Adam. It, this sounds like a very plausible explanation for this. So, what do you guys think? Do you think Matt and I are on the right path with the, you know, possibly a spitting cobra or some form of that, or do you think there is? an unknown species of worm out there that is the Mongolian death worm. Uh, and you, you know, let us know what you think. You can email or Facebook group us or call us or whatever. Uh, let us know what you think. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've got, you, you, if you hadn't heard of this thing before, uh, look it up. You're most likely going to find some terrible sci-fi movie called the Mongolian it, death worm. Um, it's, it's been in video games. Um, uh-huh. It, uh, like I said, it, uh, the dune was in the, the, the sandworms in dune were in, were inspired by the idea of the Mongolian death worm. Um, you know, it, it's pretty made, even the movie Tremors, you remember Tremors? Yep. I love Tremors. The, the graboids and Tremors were also inspired mm-hmm. from the Mongolian death worm. So, yep. I mean, it, it's, it's been out there for a long time. Um, but tell us what you think, you know, and the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. And we've got a lot of great people. There's a lot of really good interaction and, and some pretty amazing discussions. And we've got some, we've got some listeners that have been to some amazing places and send us incredible pictures. Um, they have visited places that we have discussed on the show and send us, send us, you know, information and and it's out there for all of, all of the graveyard members. So you know if if this kind of stuff really gets to you, and you've just kind of thought, hey, I enjoy listening to these guys. Jump in that Facebook group because I mean you're you're amazing. We've got some of the best listeners out there. Um, oh yeah, hundred percent. And the interaction is fantastic. Um, but you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. Just go and search Graveyard Tales. And while you're online. Pop over to our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. Uh, and on our website, you can listen to the show. Uh, you can find out a little bit more about Adam and myself. Uh, you can become a patron. And we always like to thank the folks that uh, donate to the show. It really keeps us going. We're putting oh, out yeah. new pa- Patreon content. Um, there's videos of us doing the show. So you can actually see us flub up and mess up. Um, and you can also find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. I have a couple of new Graveyard Tales shirts coming uh, to me, uh, right. which you can also find our new uh, 8-bit logo. Um, it looks awesome. like it looks like Graveyard Tales, the video game. Yeah. So, uh, so go, we need to do that, Matt. So yeah, we yeah. need to do that. So go uh, go check out uh, go check out that and. Um, as we always ask, please rate and review us on uh, on Apple, iTunes. Uh, it's the best way to get us up the charts, which simply makes it easier for people to join the graveyard. Mm-hmm. So, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. 
See you soon. I heard one like that the other day, but it was sharks. Yeah. Uh, what, shark fart. What's invisible and smells like humans? A shark fart? Uh, this was, uh, <laughs> what 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 smells like uh, uh, ground up surfer and license plates? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, go stop Henry from barking. It's constant. Okay. I don't. I don't really have anything to add about that. Okay, right. <laughs> it sounded like you did at first, but yeah. Well, I know it did. That's why I said that. Well, I... <laughs>